Hi, and welcome to the SalesRx Podcast. We provide actionable insights for revenue professionals looking to find the right prescription in their sales process. So let's jump right in. to all my sales RXers and first-time listeners to the Sales RX podcast. I'm your host and your sales doctor, Chet Lovegren, and I'm super stoked for our episode today where we're going to talk about how to leverage previous champions for better conversions and win rates. And my guest today is none other than Stephen Ruff. He is the co-founder of Champify, a B2B sales application designed to help people generate more pipeline and win deals faster. He did over $3 million in ARR as an account executive, at Heap, and he is a top BDR before that at Samsara. Steven, excited to have you on the episode. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Chet, and look forward to uh, sharing some of my uh, expertise with the with the crowd. Yeah, I'm really excited, and I know we've had some conversations prior to this, uh, not only in passing when we first met, um, I'll also let everybody know that Steven is an amazing prospector as well. So if you ever want to see the awesome cold outreach LinkedIn message he sent me once upon a time. I'm more than happy to share that because I think in this world of digital selling, uh, we need more of that. We need more feedback questions instead of, hey, come do this. Come take a meeting with me. Um, So Stephen is also, I can attest to his sales acumen. Uh, Stephen, I know I gave an outline there. You're a co-founder of this awesome B2B sales application that's designed to help people generate massive pipeline and win deals faster. You did a ton of business uh, as an AE at Heap. You were a top BDR over at Samsara. But give us a little bit about your background. Tell me your story from zero to hero. Uh, talk about that that work from BDR to now being a co-founder. What does that look like, and and what have you learned? Give us give us the down low on Stephen Ruff. Thanks, Chet. Uh, so I'll, I'll walk through a couple things. One is kind of my story about how I found myself in sales in the first place and how I got to where I was. And then secondly, um, after spending five years in, in B two B tech sales. I feel like there's been a pretty solid inflection point. Sales has been changing rapidly. And uh, I was I kind of got to experience that just like moving from CD players to iPods. I feel like sales is at an inflection point where it's where it's changing entirely. Yeah. So uh, what's funny is in an undergrad business school, they typically drop you into the ABCs, accounting, banking, finance. Nobody really teaches you about sales or or tech sales. So that wasn't a strong consideration for me. I was from the Bay Area, so after I graduated, couldn't find a great job off the bat, ended up moving back home and interviewing at some uh, B2B tech startups, ended up landing at Samsara, which is a, an absolutely phenomenal company and a great place to start your career. They have the best technology on the market, uh, which made things fairly easy. Um, and what was great about it was cold calling, right? Doing 100, 120 cold calls a day, getting a ton of at-bats. I would say their sales style is a little bit differently just because they're, you know, they're selling to a little bit of an older industry rather than selling into newer technology. Mm-hmm. However, that was a great place for, for me to kind of scratch my competitive itch, uh, get some at-bats, develop the emailing calling skills, which would then help me later on as an AE. Uh, I then became a BDR manager at a business called UJet um, and got a, uh, an offer that was hard to refuse, which was an AE role without any AE experience at a company called Heap. 
And uh, the reason they took a bet on me is because they have this, they have this value, it's called slope over y-intercept, which is essentially, we don't care what your experience is, what your experience is. We think if you can learn and do the job well, and you have the potential, then we will take a bet on you. Mm. And what this looked like was an eat what you kill role, um, mm. which doesn't sound great to a lot of people who've been in sales for a while. No <laughs> inbound, no BDR support, go and get it. So not only did I need to learn like how to generate my own pipeline that would close into a deal, but also learn the sales process and sell something that was a lot more complex than what I dealt with in the past. Keep as analytics, which means there's a huge learning curve for our prospects. Um, and it takes several months to just understand how the software works. Hmm. Um, at any of my sales jobs, uh, I like to think that not only should you work harder, but it's, it's more important to work smarter, specifically about getting yourself into the right conversations. And you're seeing this big gold rush around being uh, making CRM data more useful, businesses like Clary and People AI. I think that there's a similar opportunity with the customer data and previous interactions um, that anyone on your team has had with a prospect or a customer. That is, there's a lot of opportunity to be smarter about breaking into conversations with less effort and having those conversations be more trustworthy and more meaningful. After all, people buy software, not companies. So uh, started off at Heap, was falling on my face, um, was not doing well in initial conversations, had a bunch of uh, stage one meetings that didn't convert to stage two. And then what I realized is that there was about 50 to 100,000 people out there that had used our software before, but were now in prospect accounts. They were already past the learning curve. They already understood the magic of what was going on. Hmm. So I shifted all of my efforts into this channel, dropped what I was doing on, on regular cold outbound and prospecting and said, these are the people I'm going to target. Uh, luckily, things were fairly greenfield at the time. So I got to work a lot of the opportunities that I found. Um, and my first year as an AE, um, put up a big donut the first three months and then sourced 62 mid-market transactions um, by the end of the year. So uh, realized that this was a secret sauce that I wanted, you know, obviously everybody to do better at. And um, I am eternally grateful for, for discovering that because if I didn't, uh, it probably would have taken me a lot longer to hit my number. Yeah. <laughs> I love how you use the, uh, the uh, CD player to iPod reference. Um, I mean, we could have gone flip phone to smartphone too. I think, are you still taking it back a couple of years there, but I, I, I love, love using outrageous analogies. So maybe that, that was a very vanilla one. <laughs> oh no, I, I, I love it. I think that's awesome. It takes me back. So I, I love how, well, first and foremost, like, so you kind of saw this problem, and you you did take that work smarter approach. You know, everybody wants to be an outbound guru right now. Oh, cold outreach, cold outreach, cold outreach. And I think that we're so hyper-focused on that and building a process and all these things that we do miss sight on the easy wins in front of us. We think there's something wrong with that. But what's what's wrong with increased conversion rates? What's wrong with, you know, people who have already gone through that adoption of the product, understand the value of the product? Um so you have this entire lead-based strategy on champions, essentially. Can you explain a little bit more in depth that methodology to listeners and that concept of targeting those champions, why it's valuable? And then more importantly, what are some of the talk tracks you use when you're reaching out to these champions? Because I could see where it's like, 
hey, you you paid me money for something in the past before, want to do it again, might not be the best way to approach it, but what's your tactical way that you kind of get to the core problems of what they're facing and where your solution might still be relevant to them? What does that look like? Sure. So before I get into the specifics of that strategy, I think it's important to understand why does this whole old school brute force way of attacking a market not work anymore? I think that there's like six times the number of SaaS businesses as there was five years ago, which means your buyers are getting attacked from all angles and it's Mm -hmm. really hard to get their attention. On top of that, decisions are now more democratized with five to 10 people needing to have buy-in in the average decision meaning you can't just win over one person. Obviously you need an internal champion who's selling when you're not in the room. Mm -hmm. However, you do need support and a thumbs up from several other people on the team. So if you combine needing to get support from multiple people with that, it's harder to get the attention of one person, you know that this older school mechanism of generating pipeline and trying to get in touch with people, which is pretty much stranger danger, nobody's gonna listen to you. You need to be smarter about the relationships that you build. And this isn't anything new. People get warm intros from their colleagues, from their friends and their families and their technology partners all the time because there's some existing warmth. And anytime there's some lower hanging fruit, it's worth prioritizing. And debatably, the lowest hanging fruit is this former customer audience because, again, they're already past the learning curve. So you have a head start with the transaction. Maybe they've already worked with your team and have a solid relationship. And because of this, they're seeing about 5X the response rate Mm. and two to three X the close rate as a traditional outbound conversation because the familiarity and because of the trust, which I would argue is even stronger than intent. Like if somebody already knows you, that's probably better than if they're searching for something similar at the time. Mm -hmm. So My strategy essentially was looking at uh, Heap's own analytics tool to see who is a power user of the software, staying up late night, cross-referencing one by one for thousands of records with LinkedIn sales nav. Most of the opportunities I found were in other people's territories. So then I would Slack, look at Salesforce and I'd Slack the right person and be like, here's five leads you should go after. Hmm. Obviously any of the ones that I could work, I did. Uh, But this also helped out the rest of the team uh, at that point, I realized there needs to be a better way to do this because, you know, Heap only has 300 employees and there's tens of thousands of people that they that are very, very strong users and advocates of their solution that are worth tracking. So you need something that's scalable across an entire team, across a large and growing customer base um, and something that's just easy to operationalize, right? Sales has five, six different tools. How can you make it lightweight kind of delivering data into existing workflows? In terms of how to reach out to these people, if they worked with an account manager in the past, somebody who either uh, sold to them or worked with them in a post-sale relationship, leverage that relationship. Get the intro from the person they know and have worked with directly. Otherwise, um, otherwise, going after them with the traditional channels works fine. Obviously, you don't want to have a hard ask. Uh, you want to come off educational. Uh, you want to lean on the relationship. You want to talk about success that you had with their past team. And if there's a similar opportunity to help at their new company, again, because they've used your product in the past and have probably solved one of their problems in the past, they'll actually have a very uh, strong understanding of whether there actually is an opportunity to help at their new company. So you can just ask them that 
you don't need to assume, right? Because you never know. Maybe they're already doing something that works or maybe it's not a fit. Because of that familiarity, they'll have a strong grasp on whether there is. Yeah. And I think you hit on something important, the amount of work that you put into doing this manually one by one. And there was no way to cross-reference territory, which, you know, territories are now a big thing in sales for everybody because everybody's getting, everybody's remote. Everybody's working in different parts of the country. So we're real finicky about that. Everybody's not showing up to the LA office anymore. It's, we have people in Austin, we have people in Chicago, we have people in Indy, right? So what, I mean, this sounds like a win-win for everyone. Why are more companies not like running like a champion-based strategy? Why are they not doing it? Is it because it's just near impossible to do at scale on LinkedIn? What are some of those challenges that keep companies from fully adopting this method and making it almost essentially like a channel or a prospecting bucket in their sales org? That's a good question. I actually think a lot of companies are doing it. Specifically, I think some of the very best reps and very best BDRs are doing it individually. So um, they're trying to hack it with SalesNav because they've already been through this thought process before. They've seen, you know, $100,000, million dollar deal come in organically back inbound. But what about that other 95%, right? So they're creating their own LinkedIn sales nav list saying somebody who worked at this company, a uh, past company, and then is now at a new company. Um, and they're able to, you can do an okay job with that. But again, expand that to tens of thousands of people um, and a large team. And when you have different tiers of, of individuals, right? This person used us, this person bought us, this person was a champion, this person didn't like us, right? Um, the right way to do this involves something more automated um, and centralized so that it can be distributed to the team rather than one person trying to hack it together on the side, which is just a lot of data wrangling. So mm -hmm. in short, a lot of people are, are kind of doing this today. Um, they've already thought through it. But like a lot of things that your best reps do, how can we make this easy and replicable for the rest of the organization? Yeah, agreed. Uh, I talked to you know Kyle Van Voris of Voris.com uh, about six months ago, and one of the things he said really interesting about you know people talk about quality versus quantity and metrics, and he goes, at the end of the day, if you're hitting your number and your activity metrics are not where they need to be, I'm okay with that. In fact, I might take some of those learnings and bring them to the team, try to understand how you're doing things differently that are working out for you. It's when you're not hitting that number and you're not hitting your activity metrics that we're going to have a conversation. And I think that, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. There are probably people that are doing this individually. It might be leading to some of their success, but there's just, there's so much potential revenue. And you were nice enough when you found those accounts to ping them to other AEs. How many people wouldn't do that? You know, just knowing how salespeople are. They're, so not working this process in, in the organization as a whole is probably leading to hundreds, if not maybe even millions of dollars of lost revenue. Um, so I'm assuming then that, that keeping this data clean, doing this effectively and efficiently, this is kind of the value prop of Champify. Is that correct? Definitely. I think that, I think that with the way that buyers want to buy software changing so much, sales teams need to adapt and they just need to be smarter about um, getting themselves into higher probability conversations and not slamming their head against their monitor, trying to reach out to strangers and get their attention and build trust with them. That's a lot of hoops to jump through. And it is a necessary evil. Outbound is going absolutely nowhere. However, there are a lot of warmer channels which need to be leveraged. You see six cents exploding, $5 billion valuation. You see Crossbeam. Um, 
which is doing great, helping people get introductions through adjacent technology partners. Uh, I believe that this is the next wave of almost relationship-based selling and probably lower hanging fruit than both of those channels. Mm -hmm. RBS, it's the new acronym. We have ABS, account-based selling. Now we got RBS, relational-based selling, relationship-based selling. Um, So working and partnering alongside these sales teams and you know, Champify doing what it does, I'm sure you've got a lot of expertise in terms of best practices for this process, how to implement it, how to get adoption, so on and so forth, right? The list goes on. Just thinking out of the box here, what is what is a way in which this can be implemented? Like who should own facilitating this channel? Is this something in your experience that sales ops typically handles? Is it going to take efforts of you know, success as well as marketing, as well as your sales ops and your sales team? Like what are typically the players involved in creating this kind of process where you're reaching out to champions and trying to help them essentially at their new company and generate more pipeline and increase those win rates with more qualified opportunities? How does that typically work departmentally? Good question. Um, So because this typically touches SDRs, touches sales and it touches post sales, trying to keep track of their primary relationship when they're managing a bunch of customer accounts. Somebody centralized is typically the best person to own the project. I'd say SDR leaders who are laser focused on that pipeline number and uh, they have a very strong urgency around, hey, what can we do? What levers can we pull to improve pipeline? So they're typically the sponsor. Ops is really the brains of understanding how everything is going to plug into the existing tooling. So it's a combination of sales strategy enablement, um, SDR slash sales leadership or ops. It it varies from company to company. Obviously in in startups, you have more of the Swiss army knife type personas that are looking over everything. Mm -hmm. In larger businesses, it's maybe not like a sales leader that manages one small territory. It's somebody more centralized that's overlooking, hey, how can we benefit all of the go-to-market teams? Uh, Another thing to point out, and I'm sure that whatever seller is listening to this has experienced this before, but you're selling software and somebody goes, we have so many softwares that we're kind of using or kind of not using. We just have too many apps. Our teams are logging into eight different things throughout the day. It's like, I get the value in this, but how are we going to, how are we going to use this on top of everything else? We already have too much software as is. And now you're seeing software to manage how much software you have. It's mm-hmm. kind of funny in meta in a way. So um, I actually believe the, the next stage of sales tools isn't another login that you need to go in and work through in your workflow. It's kind of looking at the data and, and performing magic in the background and surfacing information in your existing workflows and tools. Mm. So, so the best way to roll this out is actually like a backend Salesforce application that delivers leads directly into outreach and sales loft alerts people via Slack um, and reports entirely within Salesforce. Again, the last thing somebody needs is an entirely new software they need to go log into as part of their, uh, as part of their regular workflow. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's really interesting because a big topic in the AI world is that, uh, that data with machine learning, right? Comprehending and enhancing data that's already there to help the AI tools learn better. What is what, right? What is, what is a glass? What is what are headphones? And understanding that no, these are not headphones. This is how headphones work. 
Uh, same situation, right? You have this tool in the background that's looking at everything and doing all that. We don't need another. We don't need another sales engagement tool to log into and manage every day. It's, but it's beautiful to have something on the back end that can kind of make that process very fluid uh, and adaptable for us. I, I have to say one thing that I hear uh, while listening to you here is just the excitement around what you've built, because I'm a firm believer that some of the best products out there, some of the best products or services, let's call them, uh, came from a situation where the you know, founders, co-founders experience that problem and solve for it already themselves. Like you're living proof of the excellence of your product. It's very similar to Pavilion, right? You know, this is, we always talk about the story of Pavilion and how our founder and CEO, Sam Jacobs, you know, started off as a dinner club with CROs that were trying to solve complex problems within their businesses, get structured training and learning and, and network and with one another and meet with like-minded professionals. And then that grew into what Pavilion is today which I think is awesome. And I think that's why a lot of people buy into it is because they've seen what that value looks like for Sam himself, first and foremost, but also other members of the, of the community, uh, which kind of circles back to, to uh, your users at, at Champify. I know you hit on a couple of things about the, the increase in pipeline numbers and, and the higher conversion rates. What is some of the ROI that you're seeing at Champify for your users? What is some of the jaw-dropping data? What are some of the insights that you can share with us about the value behind having this relational based selling model and leveraging these champions. What does that look like for your users? That's a great question. It depends on the, it depends on the scale of your business, what the average deal size is, how many current users you have. Um, again, the, the larger the company, likely the stronger the product market fit um, and likely the more users that they have and the more people you track, the more job change leads will be surfaced because it's pretty standard that 25% people change jobs each year. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say like you can expect on average, like, you know, let's say you have 200, 300 employees. Um, I'd be surprised if you weren't able to pass a million dollars in stage two pipeline in the first month. Mm. Uh, due to historical buildup, there's typically 20, 20, 20, 20 to 30% of people have already changed jobs just the first month that you check because contacts are always added to the CRM, none are, none are actually removed. Um, so yeah, I'd say, I'd say over a million and close one per year tracking for something along those lines. Um, and you know, seven figures of pipeline straight off the bat. Um, SDR teams were talking you know, a boost in 20 to 30 meetings in a matter of weeks. Wow. That's incredible. And obviously you're going to go through things where like, if, if somebody was trying to sell to me that sells into logistics software, um, reaching out to me now would not be worth it. I've switched jobs since I was in the logistics software industry, but I'm sure you run into those sometimes where it's like, Hey, if your solution is specifically for this, this niche, it doesn't work if people move over. But it sounds like for the most part, a lot of these champions can turn into repeat customers. People don't really switch like if you're selling software to software, right? People don't typically just move in and out of software like that. They typically stay in software if they have that tenure and they're a decision maker. So it's great that you've, you've kind of come up with a way to track that. If I'm a sales leader and I'm saying, man, this, this sounds great. I'm sure I have a couple of reps that are doing this on an individual level, as you called out, but we definitely don't have a process or a channel built out to facilitate this. What's one thing I can do to get started today? Like what's the one piece of advice or the one recommendation you would make for the sales leader who doesn't have this on their radar and wants to put it on their project list very quickly? What's that one piece of advice look like from you? 
That's a good question. Uh, I think the first the first thing you need to think about is like how big are you? Because if you're a you know if you're a fifty person startup, it probably could be worth trying to hack this together with SalesNav. Again, once you pass maybe a thousand, two thousand users, then that's where SalesNav really just doesn't do the trick. Um, and I don't want to like aggressively plug what we've built, but if you're, if you're smaller and you have enough users to where it's a pain, like you're more than welcome to hop on our free plan. If you're sizable, I think it's important determining who, who on the team should, should own this strategy. Um, and starting to think about what are the key personas um, that are worth tracking, right? Power users, um, admin users, people who helped in a buying decision, low NPS people who could be potential detractors in the future. Uh, that's an interesting one pointed out by the CRO of a 10,000 person company that I won't share at the moment. Uh, so who is worth tracking? Who is gonna own the project? Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously you always wanna check out like whatever solutions exist. Cause there's a few, you know, few flavors of B2B, B2B sales tools that can, that can tackle this issue. Really depends, hey, what do we already have? Um, and is this, you know, do we see an opportunity here? Mm -hmm. so some businesses don't really have a giant channel from alumni customers, or some businesses don't have a pipeline problem. Uh, so if, if you've had some organic people come back to you and buy again, that's just a whiff of what the opportunity is. And we like to think only 3% come back to you. Mm. On, on a side note, I, I liked your comment about, hey, you know, the best coaches or players and the best founders had been there before. Um, and to all of you salespeople that are interested in starting your own company out there, um, I heard a quote, which is starting your own company is either based on scratching your own itch or industry expertise, scratching your own itch, meaning, Hey, if I've had this problem or seen this opportunity in my role, maybe other people have too. Mm -hmm. And then industry expertise. Uh, if you ski this, if you ski a different mountain every day, you're not going to know that one path through the trees that nobody else knows. A lot of the obvious stuff has been taken. Let's look at email automation, for example. However, there are a lot of more niches, uh, especially if you're riding a wave like relationship-based selling or outbound becoming tougher that are going to surface and, and become mainstream at some point in the future. Yeah, I love that. And I think to your point too, like individually, smaller smaller companies doing this on a small scale, you could probably hack it together with SalesNav. Um, but I could only from doing it myself through sales nav, I can only see where, you know, if I have a full sales team and I have a pretty big database, like that's just, there's, there's no way to centralize that into my company. It's all individual to the reps that are tracking it through their sales nav license. There's no way to really um, run that succinctly. And so I love that, that you've really built this opportunity for people to do that. Yeah. Um, so I know you hit on a couple of things, right? If you're, if you're, if you're, you know, moving up that market and you're interested in, in taking an inside look at the product that's available. But what I really want to do in closing today is just kind of get you to, to plug where people can find you, where people can locate more information about Champify and really how people can connect with you. If they just want to learn more about your process, your product, or, or you as a person, how do we connect with Steven? Yeah, uh, and really appreciate the exposure of this podcast. Big fan of the sales doctor. Um, so uh, our website's champify.io. As of recording this, we haven't formally uh, announced our launch yet. We've been in stealth for about seven months. Uh, this should should be announced by the time we, we push this live. Mm -hmm. uh, so champify.io is our website. Uh, you can also just hit us up on, on LinkedIn. My name is Stephen Ruff. Should be 
rough like a dog should be pretty easy to find. <laughs> I love it. And Stephen, this has been uh, really insightful information, not only from understanding the tools and resources that are at our disposal as sales leaders and individual contributors, but also just giving people some concepts and insights on things that they may not be doing that might help them, especially through this time where, you know, you're seeing a lot of job changes, right? There's a correction in the tech market. There are people are going to be, you know, moving out of their jobs and into other jobs. People might be fed up with decisions at companies and might be looking for work elsewhere. So it is very important to track those users, track those movements, track that data, provide a clean and sustainable process for your reps. Because, you know, as Trish Bertuzzi says in the sales development playbook, if you're making SDRs and AEs, list build, you're doing something incredibly wrong. Um, you should be providing them with the, uh, you should be providing them with the targets and letting them go hit, hit their mark. So I love that you really, you know, scratched your own itch and you found that thing that worked and you created that opportunity uh, for people to make it work for them as well. So I love it. I love what you're giving to the community and I love what you've created and uh, we're really excited to see that trajectory. Um, as, as the company continues to grow. Um, for all my listeners out there, if you are interested in connecting with the SalesRx community, the podcast, or myself, the sales doctor, uh, you can check out our podcast page. There are links in my About Me section on LinkedIn where you can access all of our sales resources and content, as well as access to the SDR to AE program where we can help you earn your AE promotion from your SDR role in 12 months or less. Thank you again for your time, Stephen, and we'll see everybody on the next one. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you.